now be convening a, a panel um, to talk about the subject of resilience. So Mabash will be there. Can I ask Andy Huff, the CEO of the APS, to join us? Uh, Carl Day from Toshiba. Uh, and uh, Monique Van Aar from SAT. If I can ask you to join the panel, and uh, Phil Seguire will be hosting that panel. Um, the topic of, of uh, mental well-being um, in sales has kind of surfaced in a, in a number of ways for me. Um, uh, and uh, I'm not sure whether this is a phenomenon that's increasing in the current age in which we live with, with, with the pressures that are upon us to hit targets or not. But um, I've talked to a number of people this year about <coughs> burnout. And you know, we've, 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 you know, we've had people openly talking about the fact that they've reached a point in their, in their career or in, in their work at that particular time when they, they, they've actually reached the, the, this moment. Um, and, uh, and so we thought it would be good to surface a conversation about it. Now, we, we asked a number of questions earlier on about do we think stress is going to get more or less in, in, in the world in which we're now living? And we've also asked the question, do you, um, have any of you taken time off work? <coughs> And we've seen the stats, one in five of us have taken time off with a stress-related um, issue. So um, I'd really like to sort of open up this discussion more and um, ask the panellists here to take part. And I think, you know, Carl was one of the first, if I could start with Carl to begin with, one of the first people I spoke to about this. I think we were at a cricket match um, together when we were talking about it. And what was really interesting, and I, I must admit, I have, haven't experienced this myself before, um, but was how he managed to use his anxiety and stress to perform well. Um, so, I'd, uh, Carl, I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit, you know, your journey on this particular topic. Yeah, I guess, um, if I, if I sort of, Put it in the context of the conversation we had, <clears throat> and one of the things that I sort of said to Phil is that so many people see anxiety as a bad thing, anxiety and stress is a bad thing. But I lived with anxiety right from a young age as a, as a child, and, and, and it became almost like a friend and a driver to me. So, any, anyone who's ever suffered or been honest with themselves and suffered from any sort of stress or anxiety would understand just how much energy it creates. Um, so what I was explaining to Phil was I used the energy that create or is created by my anxiety as, as, and put it to good use. So I, in terms of learning that, I guess the first learning of that was when I was feeling particularly anxious as, as a student, as a child, I would exercise <clears throat> and found that, you know, the energy I had was kind of boundless. But then what I found is, as I got older and then I was probably less capable of, of exercising at those times that you found anxious, I used the anxiety to drive the particular task that I was doing. Um, and I think in terms of that, as I explained to Phil, it, it made me fear it less and see it as a positive, and, and, and in return, you kind of 
control it rather than it controlling you. Um, and I think that that was we we discussed about how people deal with their stress and and what people do to relieve stress. I think that, you know, I'm certainly not a doctor and don't profess to be anything other than someone who's lived with it. In, but I know that if you are genetically built in that way, it's it's fruitless trying to fight it. You've got to try and harness it, accept it, and use it in a positive way. That's Thank the short you. answer. That's the short answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, was, that was great. Um, I didn't know if I could ask... I know Monique, you were asked to join the panel at fairly short notice on this particular topic, but I guess the question for you, and um, maybe a personal one that you might want to respond in the same way as Carl. Now, I know that you're a very senior person in the SAP team in the Netherlands now. Now, what do you see happening around this topic in, in your... Um, yeah, what I'm seeing is I, I, I think I recognize the situation and I think you love it or you don't love it. And if you are working in a, in a fairly high demanding environment, um, you have to love it, otherwise um, you will become a regular patient of uh, GP services. Um, but I as well think it's, as well for the younger people, it's the new world, it's the new current situation. So uh, perhaps in the past we had to adapt uh, because of the weather changes or whatever, and now technology uh, is forcing us to adapt as a human being uh, to be ready for what's coming up. Do you think companies are, are putting too much stress upon employees to perform and to hit targets? Do you think that's increasing um, more now than it has it is, done? It is, but, but I agree again. So you can let it happen to you or you get tools or mental support not to let it happen to you. But it is, but it, it is, it is, it's happening. And what I see with SMP, so we saw a lot of coaching programs and we don't, the, the percentage of illness is very, very low, but we see the increase of the longer illnesses because of the stress. Okay. That's and now we are facing, okay, have that the first signal, so can we influence that? And I think coaching is a very important one, you know, discussion whether coaching can be used for that, but I think it can be used for it. So if you see things, that you really can coach people on how to deal with it. Thank you, Andy. Andy, um, I didn't have a specific question for you, but you may want to pick up either on your sort of personal um, experiences around this topic. Um, I mean, you're obviously talking to a huge number of companies and sales forces, and your point of view is, is going to be really interesting. Um, I think the word today has been mentioned several times, it's reflection. So I was very lucky to actually have a couple of coaches that took me out of my environment and allowed me to start thinking about things. Um, and uh, one of them is, is an author, he, he wrote a book, and I still live by that, it's called The Activity Illusion. And actually resilience has to meet disruption of technology. So we're constantly speeding up all the time, and that's actually where the stress comes from. So a simple example for that is we live in an instant world, and it takes me personally a long time to go, okay, I've, I've dropped an email to Ian, he's not come back to me in 24 hours. Well, he might not have read it. 
you might have read it, it's not on the agenda, how important is it? So actually what happens is we're using a technology or we're using platforms for technology which have a huge amount of psychologists that work for them who are designing that technology so you become hooked on it. Uh, I know the MD's not here today, but I remember the good old days when I had a Blackberry uh, and it used to flash red at you. And the psychology was that it flashed red, you would dash across the floor and you would pick it up and you'd go, right, fine, okay, I need to look at this. Because it was actually working on 2,000 years of, of, of actual behavior, which is gossiping and talking. But actually, I'm going to throw the kind of hand grenade thing it's not new. So go back 30 years, I worked for a company called Barbers Mercantile, and we had a division called Highland Finance, and they worked from home. They had people who would go out and they would talk to farmers about actually um, lending the money for a combine harvester or a tractor. And we actually analyzed it, and their divorce rate was three times the divorce rate of everybody else. I don't know why we decided to investigate that, but, <laughs> but what it showed was that actually they would go and have dinner when there was no such thing as a mobile phone or a Blackberry, and then they would immediately go back into the home office and start to work again. So that impact of technology, regardless of where it is on the curve, has been around for a long time. The problem is, is that unless you give yourself or you have a company that's going to give you those permissions for someone to get you out of that and start to allow you to think in a different way, you're going to get swamped by them. And that's where I think it just all waves over you. And I think so therefore, can resilience be coached? Yeah, but you've got to give yourself that space and the managers have got to give you that space to say, let's get you out of there and start to just talk about the way that we've worked for many, many years and what is a realistic assumption in today's technological world of actually how you should negotiate, should communicate and what people's response times are. Thank you. Um, Mabasha, if I could, you know, talk to you on this particular subject. Is there anything you think could be done to help, um, Monique was talking about prevent, you know, preventative, you know, to, to alert us to the signs of problems before they happen? So I think the worst thing as a manager that you would want is suddenly one of your team, you know, to suddenly go into, you know, a crisis and you haven't spotted the, the symptoms of what's happened. And I, I see there's potential perhaps in what you're doing to help in that, in that area. I think there is. Um, I think it's really interesting what we're hearing today. It, it, there's almost this kind of dichotomy, isn't it? So on one hand, technology itself is causing a lot of the issues that people are facing when it comes to increased levels of anxiety because it, the phone is flashing red or they're getting hundreds of emails or they're just constantly never able to escape uh, unless they have an Nokia, of course. Um, but, um, but, but, you know, um, at the same time, you know, I'm working in an industry where um, actually, I think technology has huge potential to help people in those situations because it enables them to access care uh, at a time that they need it. If they, if they do find themselves in a situation of high stress and anxiety or depression, um, and it allows them to have coaching, whether that be through AI or therapists on the go in uh, anywhere they might be in the world, which obviously is very important in a, in a global sales environment. Um, but, you know, I think it, it all depends on the user's preference for how much intrusion they want in their life. And so things like predictive capability, well, there's huge potential for predictive capability, but the user has to um, allow the technology and give permission to the technology to capture all sorts of parameters about their life, which might be useful indicators for prediction. 
Um, but I guess it's this balance between how intrusive do we want this technology to become um, in, in, in an attempt to help, um, to help our colleagues. Thank you. Um, right, so um, questions from the audience, um, or if not questions, uh, shared experiences on this particular topic. Thank you. Sorry, the gentleman. Hi, well, so Neil Marshall, Thompson Reuters. Um, we have uh, a bit of a problem with this in our sales organisation currently. Quite a few members of various new business teams, inside sales teams, um, going off on stress-related illnesses. And these, some of these guys are away sort of three months, six months, and it's really struggled to get back into the workplace. And when they come back into the workplace, they feel a little bit left out. As we all know, sales moves on very quickly. Teams move on, people move on, and onwards and upwards. Um, my, it's more of a statement, I suppose, but I wanted to see the room's thoughts or the panel's thoughts. Do we need to be equipping managers to spot these signs earlier on? Because I feel that in some cases the managers are taking this sort of old sales mentality of, you know, get on with it, guys, here's the target, this is what you have to hit, uh, no matter what rather than perhaps being a bit more supportive at times, uh, a bit more understanding to some of these sort of issues that are popping up that they are perhaps unaware of and don't have the knowledge or experience to see, as it were. So just wondering, how can we equip those first-line managers more to ensure this doesn't happen and they don't get to the stage where they're you know, having to get in touch with Babylon or wherever it may be? I mean, I think that's incredibly important. I mean, there's some really good organisations doing things like mental health first aid courses for corporate organisations and organisations where there's a high pressure environment and I guess they're very much designed to help managers look for those kinds of, uh, of signs. Um, so yeah, very, very, very good. I think it's important to put that question back to you though. Yeah. And, and it's, I, I guess it's difficult to answer this question honestly, but if you had someone apply for a senior sales role or a leadership role within your own sales division and they put on their CV that they've battled anxiety their entire life, um, would you still employ them? And, and I guess that's not really a question that I'm expecting anyone to answer. My guess is the high percentage would be no. But the best tool that I've ever had for my salespeople noticing when they're being pushed too hard is my own experience of living with it. <clears throat> and I guess that, that, and again, the doctor would probably be able to back me up better here than that. My experience that there's anxiety that's caused through that genetic imperfection, or I have a higher level of natural anxiety than someone else, and there's situation related anxiety like PTSD and those type, types of things you know, under immense pressure and you can't resolve the issues in your head. But either way, the, the cause might be different, but the symptoms and how you deal with it is exactly the same. So one thing I've always found is, when I've never shied away from the fact that I've suffered it, um, it's never really held me back in the way. But one thing I guarantee you, whenever I'm honest enough to say, yeah, I've suffered, and I've dealt with it, and I've never had a day off work sick as a result of it, Pretty much every single time I've spoken in a public forum, a number of people come up and say, I know exactly what you mean. I'm feeling that. I'm feeling it now. Or can I talk to you? Can I email you? So I think the answer to the question is, 
companies could do more by actually realising that it is something that people, whether it's a modern phenomenon, whether it's a deep-rooted thing, it's, it's as inevitable as having a cold that some people, or most people, will have a mental-related illness at some point in their life. So why, why see it as a weakness? <clears throat> if organisations can do a huge amount to really foster an environment um, that promotes psychological safety within the workplace, so uh, where people are not, sort of not frightened of um, admitting failure, uh, and not frightened of um, admitting when they might have high levels of anxiety or mental health issues. And I think that's really for organisations to, to develop at that sort of organisational level, um, is that kind of culture. Yeah, I think to pick up on the culture piece, the world's changing. Uh, and actually, the leadership in sales and the leadership in most organisations is in trouble. Because the modern world and the things that challenge it are changing under their feet rapidly. So um, I think to Carl's point, the level of authenticity, if I saw somebody put that on a CV, I'd probably hire them straight away. Because let's be honest here, when's the last time you saw a CV from somebody who was moderately successful, yeah, who missed goal last year but was doing a lot around self-development? Let's be, it's, by the statistics, Everybody suffers from something. Everybody, everybody has a problem in their life. So it's, it's stupid to ignore it. Now, I think the other point would be, I'm not sure sales managers today are actually good coaches. That's a very different discussion. So would I be wanting to take sales managers away and say, let's have you coach mental health? Probably not. But I would employ people specifically in the organization to tackle that as I would employ proper sales coaches in an organization to be coaches. We have a, a strata of people who are managers, and a lot of them are very good salespeople. And yeah, I, I think that is a separate issue. So I think we just got to embrace the fact that actually these things are happening. Uh, the world's changing. The people coming into our organisations are actually far more likely to have a mental problem. Far more likely. I think the statistics that came out is that it's somewhere in the middle but if you are constantly told as a child that you've got no worth and you could do better, you're going to come out with low self-esteem. If you're constantly told you're brilliant, you're going to come out with low self-esteem. We have people entering the workforce who have got the lowest level of self-esteem and the highest level of isolation. So we've got to go, if I'm going to be a business leader, how am I going to equip myself with this modern working world? and actually tool up my organisation to accept and embrace the fact that everybody's different, everybody has a problem, and actually we fix people's problems for them because we are a culture that does that. Because people want to deal with a culture that does that. They don't want to deal with cultures that just do numbers anymore. Who cares? There was a question over this side of the room, I think. Um, obviously there's, there's a lot of stigma associated with mental health and, and a lot of good work in terms of how to address that. When you look at the workplace and, and maybe big corporations, I feel that stigma is not being addressed. What are your views on how we can make this sort of more fun of house for, within these environments? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'll speak for uh, within our company, SAP. I think that uh, if if people do suffer on a men, uh, mental health uh, illness, then uh, people recognize the situation. 
And I think the first thing is I'm happy it's not coming over to me and, and everybody accepts of everybody um, understands why it's happening. And I see it's changing. That stigma really is changing. So that's we're really working on that's not going to happen. But it's not that a people has who has gone for a year or half a year that he doesn't have chances anymore. So I really think that is changing with our culture. I disagree with you that skills managers should not do the coaching because I think if we have the ability to learn, I think it even would be better sales managers if you have the ability to learn and the agility to learn so we can easily we can uh, coach those people as well on the sales skills but as well on how to deal with challenges because uh, mental illness is not only the cause of pressure of the work, it's also what's happening in a private situation, often it's a combination of things. So I really think that it's our job as a sales manager to uh, be eager to learn and to coach people as well on uh, the mental health. I think also to, to answer your question, is um, one interesting one for me is one of the biggest, one of the organisations that's probably changed the most with respect to its protection of people becoming mentally ill and its treatment of people once they become mentally ill, mentally Ill was the military. Um, and, and there's obviously various reasons for that and a lot of what I've done through my own learning and with my own sales team is I've observed the way that they've dealt with those issues. Now obviously their issues are a lot more extreme than ours and likely to ever be but as I say the symptoms and the, and the problems that cause afterwards are very similar. And I think if you look at, they've done a number of things, they've done a lot around helping those soldiers that do have those issues, but they've changed the entire mindset and characteristic of their leadership into one that is more coaching and one that is more listening, and one that's more challenging, one that is able to admit defeat or admit that we've done that wrong, but this is what we've learned from it. And I think if you embrace that, it's only natural that that's going to reduce the anxiety on your workforce. Most people are, are anxious at work for one reason, one reason only, and that's they fear for their job, they fear for their future. And, and so if you can reduce that anxiety by telling someone you you can get something wrong, like Andy said, you did miss your target last half, but I can see how hard you're working to try and fix it. But they're not fearful of losing or consequences as a result of that. Naturally, it's going to reduce that. Do you have any comments to make on what you've just heard? I think really just to echo this point around culture and you know just like the example with the military, and I know the military have done a huge amount of work to change that culture, and I think it's something that I think if you can achieve within. Uh, an organisation like you know, the military, which is steeped in tradition and very difficult to change things, um, then it's um, very promising because I think it shows it's possible to do that within other organisations. Um, and I think this concept of uh, everyone being trained somehow to recognise symptoms it is possible and mental health first aid is a thing uh, and it is something that organisations can embrace to help equip their staff to recognise when people might uh, be taking a turn uh, downhill. Hi, sorry, sorry for the Kelly Kelly Portland School. Just a, a small uh, point, um, a small bit of experience in inside sales teams. 
Um, and, and what I would say is I totally get uh, the point you make about the, the management of the teams. Here's the problem. The managers have been removed from the, the shop floor, basically. They don't see these things going on because they're too busy looking at metrics, uh, answering emails, and doing all this other stuff that technology has brought us as well. So, uh, you know, I, I totally get the point that their responsibility is not necessarily maybe to coach this, but they certainly should be able to spot something. If someone's in a little bit of trouble with their target, there should be some support there. But in reality, in most cases that I've seen now, the only way they spot this is by looking at a metric that comes in the next morning, because they're certainly not helping the shop floor helping and supporting their teams right now. And I think that's a big issue when it comes to the uh, coaching individuals. It's just a point. Bill, can I ask something? Um, just to say that next week, October the 10th, is um, Mental Health Awareness Day. So those of you that are thinking about what you could do with the organisations or with the teams to raise awareness, that just might be a good time to start. Okay. Thank you. Axel, Rachel, microphone, Axel. Reflecting on what we do at the SAP, um, the HR organizational business unit started to push the uh, search inside yourself mindfulness training based on uh, emotional intelligence from Daniel Goldman. Let's see if we train on that area to push more consciousness into all level of management and individuals. However, when we look at sales, we see it's extremely tough to bring that type of training to a salesperson because again, it goes into that mindset of being strong, back to what I mentioned previously. But what I see when I look into this new evolution of companies, we talk now about those steel companies, and the steel companies based on technical research says that we need to create that space of safety that we discussed about for learning agility and for performance. Now, again, I believe that emotional intelligence becomes a critical aspect of what the manager should be able to manage in order to be highly effective. Resulting from this, being able to, to spot the signals, but more importantly, any salesperson should be trained on that as well. So I just would like to have your, your point of view on this. Have you in your organization tested this? And from a medical point of view, how do you see that emotional intelligence and how far can we use it to manage the situation? situation? Do you want to direct that question at anyone in particular? I don't know. I agree with everything you've said, so, to be honest. I think that one of the things that I did when I did my own masters, I looked at um, trust and how trust was built. And, and along the way, I, did, I went to a seminar on well-being um, because I wanted, there was a guy there who was talking about the brain and how your brain works and how empathy and trust is, is, is embedded in us. And, um, one of the interesting things I, I learned that day was, and it was like a penny drop moment in that the, this guy talked about the most, and he was he was the, um, he was advisor to Oxford University Neuroscience, so he was pretty qualified to have an opinion. And he talked about the most the things that were most effective on or, or disrupt, disruptive on the brain, and that was stress. Um, uh, sleep, not enough sleep, dehydration, but the one I come back to is the stress. I think he talks about the brain's ability to perform at its optimum when any of these factors were affecting it. And I thought, traditionally, every sales manager or director I've ever had was this brash, 
bully who would force you to do things and put immense pressure on you if you were behind your number. And when I sat there, I thought, all we're doing is we're just setting our people up to fail. Um, so cut, cut to now, we've, um, our lead, we're engaging on a leadership program uh, within my, my sales teams where we've employed um, various people, but one of those is a polar explorer um, because he's talking to our sales team about how much mental preparation goes on before he takes on a task and how important that is to understand the premise of what could and couldn't happen. Um, because as I say, I come back to the point that our companies are only ever as good as the people that work in them and, and drive things forward. And I think that in terms of having that ability for my sales team to be able to manage and lead without using pressure and without using sort of command and control tactics to achieve good results, it's got to be a better way. So I think you can absolutely embed that in your leadership and the training and development that your leadership does. But it does take a little bit bravery because the second my results aren't what they should be, everyone will say it's because I'm doing this polar exploration training and it's not because I'm not beating them up. Um, so, you know, the, the, the reality is whether I beat them or not, they're going to have times when they don't get their numbers. <clears throat> does, that, does that answer that? I think I'd go a bit further than that. It's about leadership and culture. It's not a complicated thing. I've worked in organisations that are 25,000 people, 150,000 people, and now working one which is 30. And it comes to the culture you set. And, and I think actually, companies like Babylon are, are actually giving us the answer, which is as an organisation, you've got to be realistic. You've got to be able to set the environment where people can make mistakes. Now, again, that's not you. My father said to me, a person who isn't making mistakes isn't doing their job. So that's been around as an adage for about 100 years. Not my dad's 100, but... Um, fail fast. This is all about what modern technologies are today. So we're talking about the technologies that we use, but the ethos is there's no way that Babylon got to where they were, and they were referenced at a conference in China last week by, by EY globally. You learn to fail fast and get over it and then get on. And I think that's great. And actually, you've got to help people. So the most frustrating thing that I learned as I moved from a 150,000 organization, why I had people to do all this for me, is that people would bring me problems. And I have to embrace that. And I have to cope with the stress that that might bring me, because it, I'm deliverable on a number and a growth rate, but it's about leadership and how you act. And I think the authenticity of leaders is the bit that's missing. And it happens all the time. In that, you know. So, in terms of your issue there, where's the sales leader talking about their issue in the, in the same openness as Carl did? You know, and that's the thing. Sales, back to the point, sales leaders today are probably not equipped for the sales force of today or the future because they're operating on a set of assumptions which is what worked for them when they were 20 works now and it doesn't. I, I think my non-verbal is saying more. We are not all 40 and old, so we cannot learn anymore. So I really think that's our duty to uh, to make that change happen with all the people in the room. And we are talking about uh, anxiety and stress. Uh, we didn't talk about uh, fun and success. 
uh, there's a very important balance of the other side. So, uh, and I think it will be our duty to uh, to combine everything, especially uh, the new. I completely agree. I think you are. And then we our task then to to educate our sales force. Sales manager as well. Thank you. Thank you. Well, um, can we give a round of applause for being so open, you know, with your point of view? Thank you, Natasha, for joining us as well. Uh, thank you very much to the panel. Um, this is an incredibly tough subject. That's why we bring it up. Now we bring it up because we've all got to find our answers. Resilience versus emotional intelligence. You've got to have both. How do you do that? How do you balance it? Uh, so in a second we'll bring for lunch. Can I encourage?